Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Irina, and this week, Kanisha, Jack, Madeline, and I spoke with Sandra Sirota, Assistant Professor in Residence in Human Rights and Experiential Global Learning with the Human Rights Institute at the University of Connecticut. As teens, even though we have a passion for justice, we typically don't know or understand our basic fundamental human rights and how they can be violated, which is essential to live our best lives. Human rights education can help us comprehend many issues our society faces, such as the impact structural racism has had on our system for years. Professor Zerota emphasizes that youth social justice is crucial and young people should use our voices to create necessary changes in our world. As teens, we can use advocacy as a way to dive into the world and making social change. Sandra emphasizes three key pieces of human rights education, what you learn, how and where you learn it with dignity, and what it's for. That is how you take action to create transformation. She is launching a three-year program to further explain how human rights education impacts people from all over the world and why social justice movements are important for youth. We can't wait to learn the results. Thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Irina Chowdhury. I'm currently a sophomore in high school and I reside in the Bronx. In addition to being on the podcast, I am an editor on the podcast and I was a summer civic fellow last year. And I'm really excited to learn more about social justice education since my school explicitly hasn't taught me that. Or we learn a lot about activism and how it's very important to create change, but we haven't thoroughly learned about social justice education and human rights education and how it's very important in our education system. So I'm really curious on how your work has consisted of and your new project that's coming up. Hey everybody, my name's Jack. I'm a junior in Manhattan. I'm a full-time podcaster with NextGen and I'm also starting up a new initiative where we're going to hold discussions bi-weekly about current events sort of with a with a slant more towards like an ethical inquiry also. So I think what's so interesting is when I saw this week we had a human rights activist on the podcast, I thought, well, that's very interesting. And and I guess one of the questions that I'm going to ask is human rights, I think, feel like something very distant and that don't really apply to like us. Like we live in a free democracy, like, great, we don't have to worry about human rights. That's something that we have to be concerned about elsewhere, but not at home. And I think that looking at some of your work and I think also sort of over a more careful reconsideration of some of my viewpoints that's been going on for a longer period of time, I wonder how true that viewpoint actually is. And so I'm really excited to delve into how can we actually re-examine this narrative that the U.S. is not doing anything detrimental around human rights or that's questionable around human rights. Hi, I'm Kanisha. I'm a high school junior from Queens, New York, and I'm really interested in this because I really never learned anything about human rights or social justice in school. And I think the only real exposition I got to it was in sixth grade where I did Model UN. And obviously there you had to read the UDHR, you had to prep for research, and a lot of the research we did were on countries that were usually not as developed as the U.S., So you actually saw human rights come to the forefront in those countries where, like Jack was saying, you don't really see this whole issue of our human rights being like encroached on in the United States. And I'm just really interested to explore what you've learned in educating people about human rights and where we need to go with educating people, especially young people, about them. Again, we kind of live in a bubble where it seems like we never have to worry about not having access to clean water or about like blatant discrimination. A lot of times we kind of don't give a second thought to it. We don't have to worry about our right to life, liberty, and security. Those things kind of go to the back of our minds when we're living our lives, where in a lot of other places, 
those are at the forefront of people's minds every single day. So I'm just really excited to explore that dichotomy today. Hi everyone, my name is Madeline Mays and I'm a junior at Fort Hamilton High School in Brooklyn, New York. And in addition to being a podcaster, I'm also a bi voter and a lead civic fellow here at NGP. And I share a lot of the same sentiments as my fellow podcasters, but I find this very, very interesting for me, particularly because I'm very passionate about freedom of expression. And I actually, I want to be a professor. That's what I want to do with my life. I want to write books. And I'm also an aspiring linguist and polygot. So I think that there is a lot that I feel like would be really interesting about this conversation about human rights, what that means. And I'm really excited to delve into the conversation. So my name is Sandra Sirota. I am an assistant professor in residence with the Human Rights Institute at University of Connecticut. And just to give you a little bit of background of my human rights education journey, I started working in social services after college. As I was working in social services, I was looking at injustices both in the U.S. and abroad. And I found the human rights framework was something I really wanted to learn more about and see if it was something that could be useful in addressing the discrimination that I was seeing. So I went to get my master's in human rights, and then I came back to New York and ended up starting an organization called the Advocacy Lab, where we actually taught human rights in high schools around New York City. We did find, like a lot of you had said, that students weren't learning about human rights. So we thought this is something that students were really interested in when we brought it in. So we expanded from a one-time presentation to a year-long program where students learned about human rights and then took action on a campaign of their choice. And so anyway, beyond that, I started thinking about, okay, we're doing this, but what's the result? What's happening? And I found there wasn't a lot of research out there about what happened when students learned about human rights. And so then I went, decided I'm going to get my doctorate and find out. So I graduated, got my doctorate, and I soon after came to the University of Connecticut which I learned quickly has a very robust human rights program. And so I'm lucky to be surrounded by a lot of human rights scholars and educators who do work both in the classroom and in the community to promote human rights. And so that's where I am today. I think that's so interesting. And I feel like human rights, I personally find it such an important and fascinating topic, but I feel like as a young person, a lot of young people may not care necessarily or they feel like human rights is just something that's, you're just expected to have these rights and you may not think about it much. So I want to ask you, how did you become involved in human rights? And is there anything that you could say to Gen Z or youth to be more involved about human rights? I was thinking back on this. I think I really first learned about human rights through Amnesty International. They have a really robust program for volunteers to get involved in the organization and actually do activist work and get trained in doing activism. So that's where I first really learned about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the Human Rights Framework. I teach Intro to Human Rights. That's one of the classes I teach. And a lot of the students come in and say, I never knew we had these rights. You know, I never knew about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And I think in the United States, it's a framework that's not used as much, but it is a framework that can be really helpful when you're advocating for human rights for social justice, right? And so thinking about the issues that we do have here, there are so many issues that young people could get involved in, and they are human rights issues, but because we don't really use that language as much in the United States, we may not see them as human rights issues, right? 
And so if you think about disparities in the healthcare systems, how people of different races and ethnicities are treated, that's a human rights issue, right? Or in the criminal justice system, how Black people are arrested more frequently for the same crimes and charged harder sentences for the same crimes as compared to white people. That's a human rights issue, right? And so the difficult thing is that human rights education is not as accessible because you all mentioned, or a few of you mentioned that it's not, it wasn't in your schools. You never were able to um, participate in human rights education. So I would say if you want to get involved, there are places, but it might take a little more digging than you want to be involved in something else, right? And so organizations like Amnesty International or the even Human Rights Watch has volunteer opportunities sometimes, but there are plenty of opportunities to get involved. It's just knowing where to look. So I'm always happy to, to point you in that direction. I definitely think that as somebody who's really interested in community service, that's very exciting. I think a really interesting sort of framework to operate under is the human rights framework. And that's sort of going to be the content of my question is, we've seen over 2020 and 2021, there's this huge reckoning with racism. And I think to a lesser degree that of income inequality and classism, there's more broad social awareness that, oh, our society has real problems. And I think that that has really lacked like a very clear framework. We just say this is bad. We don't say this is bad because it violates human rights. And so I guess my question is, is there a particular reason why we should say racial discrimination is bad because it's a human rights violation? I think there are frameworks that can be really helpful in fighting discrimination and prejudice, right? So you can use social justice framework, you can use other frameworks. So the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was created by representatives from all different countries around the world, and they were able to come up with this these 30 articles that said every human being on this planet deserves these rights. And from that, they created a whole international legal system that really tries to enforce this and make this a reality for people. And that's really powerful. I believe the UDHR is still the most translated document in the world and to different languages, right? And so this is something that can be shared across borders. And for example, if you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, they call themselves a human rights movement. One of the reasons is they're able to look at this as a global issue, right? And so racism is something that happens across countries and there's a shared language in human rights and a shared set of standards and values that people know if they know the human rights framework. And it's something that's meant to apply to everyone, not just people in the United States or Americans. So when you brought up the disparities in communities of people of color that actually brought up one of the important lessons I've learned in ninth grade, which was redlining and how redlining has affected communities, specifically people of color for generations, specifically my community, since I do live in the Bronx and I realized that communities are heavily underfunded and they don't have the same resources as our white community specifically. And I've realized that that's very prevalent in society still. And I think that advocacy is an important way to actually dive into the world of actually creating change. And I do agree with the social justice and how it's very important. And I was wondering, what were some of the questions and like patterns you found within your work of social justice? You know, when you were talking about redlining, it just brought to mind the education system, right? And how it's funded by property taxes. And when you have a wealthy community, they have higher property taxes. So there you have public education system in which one community may have a better public education district than another simply because of how it's funded. 
And that's one of the first, I think, areas that really surprised me when I was a young person in my teens. And I realized that the community next door to mine, actually, they had a school system that wasn't as good in the sense that the teachers weren't as highly trained or, you know, they didn't have enough funds for the same resources. And so when I was inquiring to my parents about this disparity and they explained this to me, that's something that, that I thought this is an injustice rate. And so this is something that needs to change, but you know, it still hasn't changed. So I think the education system definitely is one of these areas. I think if we can look, look into all different areas of society, we see disparities based on race or gender, right? So women don't get paid as much as men for the same job, even if they have the same qualifications. There's even been studies that have shown people of color have to pay more for a used car on average for the same car, right? Or kind of like the redlining that you were talking about, like what houses people get shown. There was a big study on Long Island to see like what houses are people shown and people of color were not shown the same houses that white people were, right? So they were kind of kept out of certain areas. This wasn't advertised. They just, they did this in order to keep certain areas specific to a certain race ethnicity. The fact that we don't want to call any issue that we face in the U.S., which again is like a relatively developed, you could say progressive country, we never want to call anything a human rights issue. So we usually label it as, I think we all say it's just social injustice, in a way sugarcoating it. So we were talking about earlier, a lot of these are human rights issues. If you look at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, you can tell racism, income inequality, and so many things going on in our country are clear abuses or violations of some of the things that are laid out there, but we never say that they are. So why do you think that Americans specifically are so reluctant to use that word to really call something like it is? I think there are different reasons, right? So like there are some people who call out human rights issues and use that language. If you remember Bernie Sanders' campaign, healthcare is a human right, healthcare is a human right, he said that over and over again, right? Or Hillary Clinton said women's rights are human rights, but it isn't a language that has become very accessible to the American public. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that we don't have human rights education in schools. And so if people don't know about it, they're not going to necessarily identify with it. Like people know civil rights, right? If you say it's a civil right, most Americans are going to say, yes, I understand that. But if you say human rights, what is that? People might not connect that to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And so one thing that I've looked at is where does human rights education take place? And the UN... They had a whole decade for human rights education. They called for countries to create plans, national plans for human rights education. And ever since that decade, which I think ended in 2004, they've had five-year plans for different groups of people in a country to have access to human rights education. So they created one for primary and secondary school students. They created one for journalists, media, military, like all different groups. But the U.S. has never joined into that to create a human rights education plan, right? And so other countries have. They have national plans for human rights education, and they work on these issues. There's this idea of American exceptionalism and this idea that human rights violations happen somewhere else. So it's not something we need to worry about. We've also been reluctant to sign and ratify human rights treaties, which means if we ratify it, we're held accountable to them. And part of that might have to do with sovereignty, like a country's independence. And so we don't want other countries to interfere with our government, even though with the UN system, it's very difficult to interfere in another country's government. There has to be really gross atrocities for 
a country to actually violate another country's independence. But there is this idea that the United States is an exception and that these don't apply to us because human rights violations don't happen here, but they do. I feel like going into the vein of education, and I think that plan that the UN put together sounds really interesting, and I'd want to know more about that because I feel like human rights is something that it just seems such a large, somewhat vague topic to break down as a curriculum. I would be curious, where do you even start with that? How would you cover it in a year? It makes me wonder if it was just a class that you took one year in high school, would it even affect these students in the long run and would they retain this knowledge? I think it's really important and I think that human rights education should definitely be implemented in schools. I actually have a George Washington quote on my desk that says, to be prepared is one of the most effectual means of preserving peace. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that that is true in terms of education, of course. But realistically, do you know how that plays out? I mean, you teach human rights. So how do you tackle the issue? We started off just going into a school doing a one-day presentation, and then we thought, oh, we should come back and do a follow-up. And then we thought, oh, that's not long enough. We need to do a semester. And then we realized, no, 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 we need the whole year. (laughs) So you are right that there is so much to cover and explain and share with students. But I think the other part is, so there are different models of human rights education. And one model is called a transformational model. And it's the idea that through learning human rights, you have an experience that changes the way you think or act or your values in some way. And so this model really goes back to the idea of having an experience of advocating for human rights or taking action in some ways, going beyond just learning about human rights. So I don't think it's so important that you gain all the knowledge, right? Like you have to know about every human rights issue and what's going on in every country, right? Like you're not going to learn that in a year, but you can gain an understanding of what the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is, what the human rights framework is all about, and then think about what matters to you. What do you want to work on? What do you want to explore? What do you want to research? What do you want to take action on? And then how do you do that? So there's this definition of human rights education that's from the UN Declaration on Human Rights Education and Training. And that's from 2011, it was created. And they talk about education about, through, and for human rights. And so the about is the knowledge that you gain, right? So you learn about the treaties and what human rights are. Through is how you're taught. So you're not taught in a school that has metal detectors and police officers in the school and harsh disciplinary policies. You're taught in a way that respects your dignity and treats you as a person with agency who has experiences and knowledge that's valuable to the learning environment. And then you have education for human rights, and that's the advocacy piece. How do you take action? And so to really have this transformation, you need to have these three pieces and that you need to have an experience of taking action for something you care about. And that's what I think will stay with someone more than, okay, I learned these 30 articles. I will tell you that I'm very excited about this new initiative that we're about to start because as I mentioned earlier, I went back to academia to get my doctorate because I wanted to know what happens when people participate in human rights education. And it looks like now we're going to have the opportunity to really learn that because we're going to do a three-year pilot program for teachers and young people working alongside each other to learn about human rights and to take action on different human rights projects. And so we're going to do research along with this to work with them throughout the three years and see, okay, what happens? Do they change their knowledge, values, attitudes, behaviors? 
And what about the communities they work in, the schools, families, and the teachers, and the community organizations that are around them that they will work with? So I'm very excited for this, and I'm happy to share with you what we find out in three years. That's all for today with Next Gen Politics. I'm editor Irina Chowdhury signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org slash podcast for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded.